I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Kayla Branch. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, we'll preview the 2020 session of the Oklahoma legislature. State lawmakers convene Monday, February 3rd. Major topics the legislature is expected to work on include criminal justice reform, health care, and education policy. We're joined by reporters Carmen Foreman and Darla Slipke. Darla, criminal justice reform is expected to be a prominent issue this year. It's been a prominent issue for the last several years. And uh, talk about some of the major events that have happened recently and that have continued pushing the criminal justice reform conversation forward. Probably the the biggest um, event that's created a lot of momentum around this issue um, was the passage of House Bill 1269. Um, okay. It was a law that took effect in November and um, created a way for people who were in prison for felony offenses that have since been made misdemeanors to go through an expedited commutation review process. Staff recommends the board approve and send to the governor that these inmates have their sentences commuted to one year. For those in the audience, if an inmate has served more than a year, including good time credits, they will be eligible for immediate discharge. And that led to the release of more than 450 nonviolent low-level drug and property offenders in November and has really created a lot of discussion and attention and momentum uh, surrounding criminal justice reform in the state. So advocates for criminal justice justice reform can, can count some wins already, but what bills are they looking at that would push their cause forward through this next session? Well, there are a couple of issues that I think they'd like to see some movement on um, surrounding bail reform and also the issue of fines and fees. Um, reform advocates want to want lawmakers to rebuild the financial structure for the criminal justice system so that it's not reliant on fines and fees to fund operations. Um, there was some movement on that last year. Lawmakers and the governor made a change so that fees that are collected by district attorneys for the supervision of offenders um, would be deposited into the state's general revenue fund instead of going to the DA's offices. And to replace that money, they allocated about $20 million to district attorney offices. And Senator Roger Thompson has filed several bills um, for the upcoming session to look at, at fines and fees. Um, he, he wants to do away with those supervision fees now. And he's also looking at making a change uh, similar to the change that was made last year with the way costs of representation are paid for um, the Oklahoma indigent defense system, where instead of those costs being paid to the system, they would go to the general revenue fund instead. Definitely. And I'm curious, you know, what are the politics around criminal justice reform and what does that kind of look like and what are the barriers for reform advocates and what are some of the arguments uh, that people have on um, maybe why they don't support criminal justice reform efforts in the way that they've been going in the state? Well, there are a lot of different opinions about um, some of the different criminal justice reforms and um I think um, there's there's a lot of concern with wanting to take into consideration victims and uh, their experiences and making sure that any reforms that pass don't have 
unintended consequences or consequences that could jeopardize public safety. And so that's um, a lot of times where there's pushback on some of the reforms. It's out of concerns for public safety or victims' rights. Um, and so I think that's that's uh, one one perspective uh, that that lawmakers and district attorneys are are trying to to keep in mind when when weighing some of these issues. And you have got an interesting story coming up uh, this weekend. So you had a conversation with a former inmate, Tundaleo Hall. So what is it about her story um, that is so unique? Um, she's been highlighted in the media, um, you know, a lot in the last several months. So kind of talk about her and the conversation that you all had. Yes, her case has really garnered um, actually national attention. And uh, Tundaleo Hall is an Oklahoma City mother who was sentenced to 30 years in prison for failing to protect her children from their abusive father. Um, The father never went to prison. He was released after two years in in jail. Um, And in Oklahoma, under these failure to protect laws, enabling child abuse is a felony that can carry the same punishment as child abuse, which is up to life in prison. And so Tony's case has has garnered a lot of attention. She's she's kind of in a lot of ways become a face for uh, is- issues surrounding the failure to protect laws from those who would like to see those laws reformed, um, and advocates for reforming those laws uh, argue that they unfairly, in many cases, unfairly punish domestic violence victims who may be afraid or, or unable to to seek help. At least around fifty percent are also survivors of domestic abuse, of the same man convicted of the child abuse. So we are not seeing this law used where women are um, intentionally, uh, as the statute says, willfully or maliciously allowing their children to be abused. We're seeing it where the women and children are all victims of abuse of the same person. So it acts as another barrier uh, to help seeking. Um, as as was the case for for Tony Hall, she she was a victim of abuse from from her former boyfriend. Every time I think about it, it just whew, does something to me. Um, I didn't know that my two youngest children were being abused. Um, when I actually did, you know, um, find out about the situation. I was just appalled at finding out that their dad had did it, you know? Um, I would I didn't think that he would have hit my kids. Me, on the other hand, I at the time I felt like I could take it, you know. Being in an abusive relationship, you just like I I basically lost um who I was as a person, who I was as a mom, a sister, a daughter. Um and that led up to me going to the Oklahoma County jail. We'll be looking out for that story. Um, and thank you so much for talking about criminal justice reform with us. And we'll uh, look forward to upcoming coverage for the 2020 session. Thank you. Carmen, healthcare policy is something that can be pretty dry and, and confusing for a lot of people, but it has become a serious topic of conversation in the state over the past year, and Oklahomans are soon going to have some decisions to make regarding their medical coverage. So could you walk us up to where we are today on this issue? 
Yeah, um, great question. So first off, if you don't know, there is a state question, state question 802, that um, is asking voters to expand Medicaid in Oklahoma. It has cleared all of the hurdles. It will be on the ballot sometime this year. Uh, The governor just has to pick a time. Um, So it could be on the primary ballot or in June, or it could be on the November ballot. Um, He hasn't picked a time yet. Um, So that's one part of the health care equation. And then you have what the legislature and the governor are trying to do, which may be the same thing, but may be different because um, it's not clear that the legislature is totally on board with um, what the governor's vision for health care is. So they're basically, they're being very reactionary. They are trying to come up with their own plan uh, to prevent the state question from passing. So they want to implement their own health care system um, and, and improve coverage of Oklahomans. As you know, we're like the second worst state for uninsured residents. Um, Texas is worse. Um, but so they want more people to be covered. Um, they are cautious about taking more federal money. Um, but yeah, so it's basically like a head-to-head sort of thing, like two competing proposals, and maybe three if the legislature really doesn't like what the governor wants to do. Right. And you mentioned state question 802, which had a record-breaking signature amount. So what do you think that it it kind of says about the way that Oklahomans are viewing the importance of health care, that so many people came out to try and get movement on this issue? I think you could look at a lot of different aspects and um, polls, et cetera, um, and you would see that healthcare is almost overwhelmingly the top issue for Oklahomans and people across the country. And you'll notice that as like the presidential race gets going more and more, um, people will talk about healthcare because that's something we can all connect with. We, I, I think most Americans, most Oklahomans have, have gotten a, a doctor's bill, a hospital bill that's that's too high or that they worry that they can't pay it um, or their insurance premiums just cost so much and they don't really see that the, the care that they should be getting for paying that much money. So anyways, Um, A record-breaking number of people signed the Medicaid expansion petition, and supporters of that petition will tell you, well, that's clearly a sign that, you know, this idea has momentum and this idea is going to pass at the ballot. Um, And, you know, it may or may not. My guess is that it probably would. Yeah, I mean, would would what happens with uh, the state question? I mean, what what goes on if the governor does, you know, release his plan and people kind of like it? What would happen then? You know, no matter what, the the state question's coming up for a vote, and so the governor's plan is is to have this sort of like plan that is so well liked and um, so bulletproof that people will vote against the state question because they like his plan so much. But here's the thing. It's unclear at this point if all the legislators are going to be on board with this plan. I mean, if you you take anything to the state capitol and they could find a way to pull it apart um, and nitpick certain parts of it and, you know, um, the governor might have to compromise parts of his plan. But anyways, um, so his idea is just to get people to rally around his plan and then vote down the state question. So in a hypothetical situation where the governor unveils his Medicaid plan and Medicaid expansion comes on the ballot at some point this year, you have these two plans, but let's say Medicaid expansion wins the day. 
what do you do when you have these two separate plans that have come up at the same time? Good question. I know a lot of people are kind of confused about that as well. Um, so no, if if the state question, if voters approve the state question, then that's the law of the land. It doesn't matter what the governor proposes. Um, the state question amends Oklahoma's constitution. Um, and so it supersedes whatever the governor might propose or whatever the legislature does. And to change what goes into the state constitution, I think you'd have to get, uh, you'd have to run basically another ballot initiative to, um, you know, you could run one five years, 10 years from now to undo Medicaid expansion, but that would be the only way to change it up. Okay. So in this legislative session, what are we expecting in terms of actual policy when it comes to healthcare? Um, so obviously the, the Medicaid expansion issue is going to be big, but it's not the only health issue that lawmakers are talking about. They're, you're hearing a lot of talk, especially with this recent federal change on vaping, smoking. Um, some lawmakers want to look at, you know, the ability to get their um, for people to get their hands on vaping instruments and vaping liquids. Um, smoking in bars is still legal in Oklahoma, and some lawmakers wish it was not. Um Another big issue, surprise medical billing. Um, So basically, if you get a medical bill and you are charged for a lot of things that you didn't know about or you charge higher costs for things that you shouldn't be charged for, like, and I'm sure we've all seen stories on Twitter of like that person who went to the ER and got charged $400 for a Band-Aid, you know, that's hypothetical. Maybe that didn't actually happen, but things like that have happened. Um, So lawmakers really want to tackle that. Uh, They're going to have their work cut out for them because insurance companies, healthcare companies aren't necessarily willing to give a lot on that issue. Um, Other things you'll see talked about is, you know, there's a bill filed, there's several bills filed to cap the cost of insulin. Again, going back to that high cost of prescription drugs, um, lawmakers are becoming more and more resistant to that, or they simply want more transparency. Um, So, you know, there's some legislation that would, like, require the State Department of Health to basically, like, um, find out more about common hospital procedures or commonly used drugs and document the costs of that. So if you went to one hospital and they charged a try, tried to charge you double or triple that, um, you would be able to point to this place on the state health department's website and say no no no, they say that costs way less than what you told me so that's a lot that's uh, exciting we'll definitely have to keep an eye on all of those things and, and and another topic area is you know education is always a top priority for oklahomans and after a teacher walkout in 2018 teachers received pay raises and the state department of education got additional funding and Nuria, you've been covering education for the last several months so talk a little bit about what we can expect to see in education funding this year Right. So back in October, the Oklahoma State Board of Education approved their funding request, which they're going to send to the legislature and the legislature will consider as they start crafting a budget to fund the entire state government, including the Department of Education. And so what the state board eventually came down to was a request for $3.29 billion to fund public schools across Oklahoma. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But when you think about it, the funding this year is about $3 billion. So this would be about a $220 million increase over last year. And this would really 
bring the funding levels for public schools back to what they were funded at in 2009. So before the economic recession completely hit our state government, before the 2016 general revenue failure, this would get us back to what we were at in 2009. One caveat, though, is that Oklahoma's public schools have received about 50,000 more students in the past decade. So you're still stretching those dollars a little bit farther than a decade ago. But as our state superintendent of public instruction, Joy Hoffmeister, said during that October meeting, they just want to give back to 2009. That's all they're asking for. And we actually scaled way back our budget requests from what we did last year. But we have to look at the context of where we find ourselves. And that 2009 is not adjusted for inflation in these numbers. And it does not include the additional student count of 50,000 more kids. So we're actually still saying we're going to be okay with the same money but we're going to be serving 50,000 more kids. Whether that actually happens, though, is remains to be seen. Lawmakers might not find the extra money um, across the state budget for that. That remains to be seen, whether they're going to actually free up another $220 million for public schools. Right. And Carmen, I want to turn to you. What is the likelihood, you know, just in general, that a state agency requests a budget increase and then receives that budget increase? I would say it's very rare for a state agency to request more funding and to get that same exact amount of extra funding, right? So like this State Department of Education has, has always requested more funding. And a lot of times they haven't received as much as they, they wanted just because, you know, lawmakers are faced with a lot of needs from a lot of state agencies. And they are very aware that education is a top issue in the state. And people care a lot about um, how well that department is funded. But sometimes, too, the, just the budget reality um, doesn't allow for additional funding. So, for example, like, Early budget projections have shown that uh, the fiscal year 2020 budget, excuse me, 2021 budget, which starts in July, is going to be effectively flat. So the state won't have a lot of extra money to work with. Um, The governor has said he's going to sort of try to move some money around and, and find some additional money. But I think he was saying that they may only be able to find an additional $250 million. So that would give all of it. If giving all of it to the Department of Education might be a tough ask. Yeah. And Governor Stitt had asked state agencies to try and you know either decrease their budget requests or keep them flat. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And he only has so much say um, over state agencies. And so really, you're seeing that a lot of the state agencies that he controls, the ones where he's appointed the director or whatever, they're complying with that request, okay. but um, some others are not. Yeah for sure. And question for both of you. Um, so at the end of last year, the state's largest virtual virtual charter school, Epic, was involved in a serious financial scandal. Uh, and so for this session, there are multiple bills that have been filed dealing specifically with virtual charter schools. So talk a little bit about those bills and what lawmakers are hoping to accomplish. So what's been going on with Epic is that they've been under investigation from the Oklahoma State Department or Bureau of Investigation for six years. But back in July, there was a release of court documents for a search warrant that basically outlined what state investigators are looking at and what they're alleging has been going on at EPIC. For context, EPIC has denied any wrongdoing. They've maintained that they've done nothing but the legal way. Um, However, state investigators have said that 
the two co-founders have personally embezzled about $10 million and that Epic as a whole inflated their enrollment counts with ghost students who are students who received little to no instruction, but were still on Epic's enrollment uh, lists and the state thereby appropriated dollars for those students. Um, So all that being said, it's expected that there will be a number of bills that are going to go through the process of the House and Senate. They basically want more oversight of virtual charter schools because they don't want what happened what allegedly happened or may have happened at Epic to happen at other charter schools. And the the big problem, right, is if you just nail down into it, it's that, you know, these institutions are receiving taxpayer dollars and lawmakers are stewards of taxpayer money and taxpayers don't like it very much if their money is misused. So... Not saying that it necessarily was at Epic, but that's what's been alleged, and they don't want that a similar situation to happen anywhere else. Right, and so touching on that issue of oversight, one such bill would put uh, the statewide virtual charter school board, which is the, the board that directly oversees Epic and all other virtual charter schools, that would put that board under the Oklahoma State Department of Education and the state Board of Education, because te- right now, technically, they are completely separate entities. One board can do one thing. The other board can do another thing. This would put the statewide virtual charter school board under the state board of education and make them answer to the state board members. Um, another bill would expand the virtual charter school board. They would um, allow the governor to appoint some members, the uh, Speaker of the House, the Senate pro tem. Uh, so there would be some more appointing power on that board, and it would expand it up to nine members. I think they're currently at five. It would also ask them to create their own virtual learning platform that would be available to all school districts in the state. So it would not only expand the number of members, but also what they have on their plate. So there are quite a number of bills that would alter what that board does or alter what they have to look at in terms of evaluating certain documents. But it, like Carmen said, it ultimately comes down to greater oversight of what's going on. Yeah, if there's anything that I know about the state capitol, it's that lawmakers don't like to be out of the loop. So, and I'm sure the governor's the same way. And I get it, you know, if you were in that position, you probably get blamed for the things that go wrong. So, yeah. well, Carmen, overall, you know, what should Oklahomans be paying attention to? And we're really looking forward to getting out of the 2020 session. Just a quick wrap up. Great question. I say that about all your questions, I realize now. Um, <laughs> So obviously it matter each issue differentiates per person. You know, like if you're a medical marijuana card holder, you might be alarmed at some of the legislation that lawmakers have proposed to um, increase regulations of medical marijuana in the state. Or you might be enthused about, you know, the fact that you might not see a dispensary within a thousand feet of your church when you go on Sundays. Um, healthcare obviously is going to be the big one. Um, if you're going to see major reforms anywhere this this year, it's either going to be from the legislature and the governor doing something on health care, or it's going to be from passage of the state question 802. Um, and criminal justice, like Darla talked about, that's one of those things that like it incrementally makes progress, a little more progress every year at the state capitol. Um, but I really think that the governor felt the rush. And uh, I mean, to be fair, he got a lot of 
of national praise. Oklahoma as a whole got a lot of national praise after the commutation of the more than 450 low-level offenders. And I think they want to capitalize on that momentum. Also, there is a, a state question that would do sentencing reform that is in the process of gathering signatures right now. So if the legislature and the governor don't make momentum on that front, the state question might pass and it might... Um, I don't know. There's like an issue for everybody up at the state capitol. It's also an election year, so yeah. who knows what could happen. Um, very weird and wild stuff could go on this year. For sure. Well, we appreciate you coming on to talk about all these things, and uh, we look forward to reading your coverage, and I look forward to working with you up at the capitol this session. Yay. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back Friday for a new episode.